Hello and welcome back to this episode of Sabbath School from Home. This is our eighth episode uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist lesson quarterly on uh, Revelation and uh, sort of the end time messages. That is what it's on, isn't it? Or is it? What's it meant to be on? The the whole season, the quarter. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's on the cosmic messages. Cosmic messages. Yes. Three angels messages. Mm. Exactly. Okay. We can edit that part. Um, the lesson this week poses some really good questions. Uh, it is not clear to me whether the uh, well, in fact, it is clear. But I I suspect the lesson writer does not want some of these questions to be pondered on as serious questions. I think they're presented somewhat as straw men to be knocked down. But they, they are superb questions, and we're going to try and make our way through them. By way of introduction, I'm going to read a very small excerpt from Tuesday's lesson. A sentence is begun in the lesson thus. It would make absolutely no sense at all to... Dot, dot, dot. Uh, I offer as a word of caution... Keep reading this lesson. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I offer as a word of caution to this an anecdote that I saw shared online, Lachlan, by one of Clancy's... Um, Clancy put me onto this, uh, a comedian who who's, has autism and um, uh, sort of high-functioning mm. autism, and, and she described uh, the lesson as, a, as a, like a grade one student in which she uh, effectively made the transition from the teacher's most loved to most hated student, all in the space of one lesson. And it was the teacher was trying to talk about prepositions and began by saying prepositions explain your relation to something. So, for instance, if if I put a box here and I put you here, what's your relation to the box? And the teacher is obviously fishing for the um, for the word next to or beside. Mm. Um, but this this uh, you know young person was flabbergasted to think that she could be related to a box. How how could a person <laughs> be related to a box? Because um, she knew about her relations, she had cousins and brothers and sisters and whatever else, and uh, she pondered this. She thought there's two possibilities. One is that the box could be like animate, um, which she thought unlikely. And the alternate option was the option she posed to a teacher. So, mid instruction, the teacher is interrupted by a student raising their hand and asking, "Please, am I made of box?" <laughs> <laughs> and then. Because the teacher failed to grasp the, the sort of fundamental misunderstanding about what the word relation means, um, this sort of, uh, I guess she's a comedian, she says funny things, but she also says lots of serious things, explains how this class just degenerated into a a, a, a totally ineffective, you know, mm. example of, of human communication. It seems to me then unwise to make the assertion that it would make absolutely no sense at all too. That seems to be speaking on behalf of of too many people. Um, mm. I've taught students and I am amazed at what can make sense. And of course, I've I've been wrong in some instances, uh, many instances. But you know, there have been some notable instances where you where you see, for instance, a student misbehaving, and you say there can be no other explanation for this than that student mm. is trying to wind me up deliberately, and and this is not a rash decision. This is there can be no other explanation. And then, you know, a throwaway com- uh, comment by another teacher and a bit of a conversation with their parents, and then there's something. And then you suddenly realise that there's a lot happening in the background. Um, so, uh, I, I'm a bit worried about that. So what what you what you're saying, Cam, is that the writers of the Sabbath School lesson are not deliberately trying to wind me up. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not, Luke. But we shall see. <laughs> 
because we're going to read some excerpts and respond to the questions that are posed uh, by the lesson. <clears throat> I will start reading with, at the end of Tuesday's lesson. And uh, let me pose this to you um, as a question. This is, this is the, the, the last two paragraphs of Tuesday. Also, and to the immediate point, if God did not create the world in six literal days, what significance does the seventh day Sabbath have? Mm. This happens. Shall I go first? Well, uh, I, have, I have a long list of thoughts, Luke. Do you want to jump in? Uh, you do it. You'll, you'll cover. I think we're of a fairly similar mind on this topic, and you're likely to be more articulate. Well, this is one that I've, I've actually spoken with a number of people about because, and, and this week's lesson is another data point in my little collection. Seventh-day Adventists love to quote the Sabbath commandment from Exodus 20, where it is indeed referencing the, the creation account from Genesis 1 and 2. But we very, very rarely cite the Sabbath commandment from Deuteronomy 5, which is the only other time it is given. So it's a full half of the times that the Ten Commandments are listed in the Bible. And it's way less than half of the airtime that we give to our favorite and identifying command. And strikingly, and we've talked about this on much earlier episodes of the podcast, but strikingly in Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath commandment is given and is justified. In other words, not just reminded this is the rule, but a reason for the rule is given with absolutely no reference to the creation account at all. Rather, in Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath is to be kept because God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And so... Just on the biblical raw material alone, there seems to be incredibly strong grounds to take the Sabbath seriously, to find rich meaning in it, completely aside from any questions, any questions about the, the reading of Genesis 1 or the literality of six days or whatever it might be. So I don't think that it is crazy for me to make that claim up front. It seems to be substantiated in a very very solid way by the biblical text. And extremely briefly, this is my thought, uh, not unique to me, um, but resonates with me. Creation in Genesis is a story of transformation from chaos and formlessness into order and function. Exodus is the same story. There is a people who are not a people, they are only slaves, and God takes them and forms them into a society and gives them a purpose. And so Exodus and creation are very similar stories. If that is true, then the Sabbath commandment, independently referencing both of them, might actually be more concerned with the bits of those stories that are common than it is with the bits of the story that might be unique to one or the other. So just as I don't think that the Sabbath commandment calls me to a particular, necessary, vivid, tangible, literal reading of Pharaoh's heart being hardened by God, mm. let's say, I think it's totally plausible to imagine a, a valid approach to biblical Sabbath keeping that might not be dependent on a particular literal reading of a chronology or a time period in Genesis 1. And you, for instance, Lachlan, I know, do not keep the Passover. I, I no, I don't keep the Passover. <laughs> but that, that is a very um, key part of the story that is referenced in Deuteronomy, the, the Exodus uh, event. You can't tell the Exodus event without the Passover. Worse still, it's specifically instructed 
that it should be practiced by future generations and that that element of the tradition should be passed down um, through the generations. So, yes, you're exactly right. Um, in that sense, uh, I could be accused by someone who was taking Deuteronomy 5 as their basis for Sabbath keeping as being a false and invalid Sabbath keeper. So that's a very good opportunity for me to jump in with my thought. Uh, just as a side note, I've been reading a book recently um, called, I believe, Range, I think is the word. Yes, I've been reading a book called Range, um, which is called How Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And the reason this is relevant to our current topic um, is because I've just finished a chapter where he talks about how Johannes Kepler got from the concept of um, spirits moving crystalline spheres uh, through the firmament, mm. which we mentioned on last week's podcast, he, he, how he mentally got from that understanding to basically a correct understanding of the force of gravity, conceptually, mm. um, by, by, by using an what what the author of the book calls analogous mm. thinking, right? By using analogies to illustrate um, concepts, um, comparing something unfamiliar with something familiar uh, as a way of trying to understand and explain the unfamiliar. Um, I, I, I want to attempt something similar right now with a follow-up question. Um, but firstly, you mentioned, Locke, that you could be accused of in correct sabbath keeping um we have had a whole podcast previously on what the definition of correct sabbath keeping is but for the sake of this thought experiment um could you give me one one or either or both of you a a, a short simple definition of sabbath keeping looking out for the interests of other people instead of your own for a day a week in a in a more overt and deliberate way than you do the other six days of the week yeah i was going to find one some way to answer that incorporated the keyword rest because that does seem to be um, fairly fairly strong in the biblical narrative but just like you Cameron I think that the rest Sabbath is calling us to has to be a rest that is passed on and shared it cannot be a rest mm. that is wallowed in by oneself excellent okay so uh, assuming then that that uh, uh, let, let's imagine we have two people right? One of them believes in a literal six-day creation mm. and does and, 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 and the other does not, mm. right? Okay, now, the one who does believe in a literal six-day creation does not keep the Sabbath. They believe in the doctrine, mm. but they are not practicing it. The one who doesn't believe in the literal six-day creation does keep the Sabbath, according to our definition of what keeping the Sabbath means. Now, the question is, who is better following God? Well, according to Christ tells a parable along these lines, and the Pharisees who answer him suggest that it's the person who actually does it. Mm. I would agree with the Pharisees in that yeah. instance. And and this is what the this... so to answer to answer the original question yeah. then more explicitly, what does it matter what I believe in terms of the facts of creation if I keep the Sabbath? Well, this is this is when Christ says. And why, why am I required to hold those beliefs to keep the Sabbath? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you're, you're pertinently answering the question that Cam posed from the lesson. If God did not, if yes. God did, it says if God did not, but let's, let me add something in. If God did or did not create the world in the six literal days, 
what significance does the Seventh-day Sabbath have? You're saying it still has tremendous significance as a spiritual discipline and a practice that can actually be lived. and yeah. Because there are um, still people that need rest and the world is still yes. not quite the way God wants. If, <laughs> if, if being a Christian is defined as obeying God and you obey God, that is it. Hmm. Well, and you may be incorrect about things. You may have opinions about things. You may disagree with other people about things. Yeah. That is not relevant. <laughs> it's only relevant in as much as, you know, um, the way we act is, a, is hopefully affected by what we believe. But Christ reverses it the other way. Instead of saying, um, if you believe something, you'll automatically act in the right way. Christ reverses it and he says, no, 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 a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, if the fruit is good, the tree's good. So Christ mm. reverses it. Christ doesn't say the key to good behavior is to believe everything correctly. Christ says you can tell if what you believe is correct by the way it makes you act. Yeah. Um, Which is, interestingly enough, very consistent with modern understanding of human psychology. Yeah. Christ was, was well, correct. We, we ought not be surprised by that. I'm going to move on to the next question. Indeed. I'm going to move on to the next question. If God did not create the world in six literal days, why would God command Sabbath observance? Now, I've paraphrased it a little bit to, to fit in the flow here, but um, I'm going to offer a, a suggestion. Um, the Sabbath has lots of dimensions, and uh, one of them is um, meeting physical needs and psychological needs. That would be a reason why God would command it. Um, one reason is that... God's commands and our religious observances are not just backward looking, they're forwards looking. Why did God why did God command a sacrifice? Hmm. The a sacrifice was an essential part of worshiping God for thousands of years, even though there was no animal death recorded in, in Genesis one and two. But that was hmm. that was something that looked forward. What the author of Is It Hebrews talks about Christ being and we said this in our in our um in our season on Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says, hey, you know that Sabbath thing that God mm. gave us back then? That was that was actually a looking forward thing. That was actually looking forward to Christ. Christ is the real Sabbath rest. So huh. one reason why God would command Sabbath, uh, independent of any uh, sort of literal factual basis in an actual six-day creation event, is because it is a, fa a portion of our life that looks forward. It looks forward to Christ, and then in our time it looks forward to Christ's soon return, you know, when rest, and this is what Revelation and Seventh-day Adventists should be excited about, you know, why why do we frame Sabbath so heavily in terms of looking backwards? I can see lots of reasons why God would command it as a, as a, as a thing that allows us to look forward. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of a good analogy to illustrate my agreement with you on this, Cam, and the task may be a bit beyond my, my intelligence, but uh, I'll, I'll attempt it um, nonetheless. The way this question strikes me is, is, is that it's a very strange question. The basis of it is the assumption that the only reason or the primary reason why God would command us to rest on the seventh day is because he literally did that at one point in the distant past. Now... If I tell my daughter to brush her teeth before going to bed, is the reason I do that because where is is the is the best and primary and most important reason I do that because when I was a child I brushed my teeth before bed every night. 
<laughs> because when I was a child, I didn't. Yeah. Or is the reason that I tell her to do that because it's good for her and it will stop her getting uh, tooth yeah. decay? Yeah. And do you justify brushing your teeth by talking about Leeuwenhoek over in his microscopes? He first discovered, you know, bacteria living in saliva and who used to scrub his teeth with rock salt every night. Um, uh, or, or about, well, or about the. Do, do you inform them about the people who at one stage made radioactive toothpaste, which was incidentally great at whitening teeth? It just destroyed your gums as well. Like I mean, there's there's a limited. It, the history is interesting, and if you were to become a dentist, there are contexts mm. in which the history matters. But but as you say, Luke, there are many reasons to command it apart from the history of toothbrushing. Yes, in some sense. The, whether or not I myself brushed my teeth every night before bed when I was a child is utterly irrelevant. In fact, it's the least important reason why my daughter should do it now. And it's also the least persuasive reason. If I want to convince her to brush her teeth every night before bed, I do not talk about how I brushed my teeth every night before bed when I was a child. I talk about how it's good for her and it's an important habit and it will stop her getting pain in her mouth and having to go and see the dentist. Yeah. So there's one other small detail here because what we're doing is very correct. Uh, but the question was, why would God command it? What, there's one nuance of this. Why, if, if rest is so valuable and helping others is so important and soul feeding, why would God command a seventh day Sabbath? In other words, the traditional Adventist, yeah. remember, today yeah. the argument with our world is really, hey, you should rest. But when Adventism began, the argument was you should rest on this day instead of that day. Now, that's an interesting question, but I think still we, we should not dwell on it because we can move right past it. If it was good enough for God to say to the um, Israelites after coming out of Egypt, you need to rest on the seventh day because I brought you out of Egypt, then that's a good enough reason. Like, do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. the, it, it still doesn't the seventh dayness can still have meaning as simply and, being God's instruction and an expression of of willful obedience yeah. without it necessarily requiring it being a, a direct weekly link all the way back to the week of well, creation. As a teacher, log, I am frustrated with students that require... Obviously, you want a student to ask questions and the usual problem is that students are disengaged in the process. But occasionally, you get a student who's far too engaged and, you know calls you to account and questions every little bit of working out you do on the board and requires you to go over it four times and to defend yourself in a way that's quite accusatory. Mm. And then at some point you have to say, well, actually, I, this might not seem reasonable to you, but um, the reason the school's paying me is because I know some maths. Like at some point, you do you not trust me to teach you what's useful? And if, if we do trust God, then ultimately we can say, well, God must have had a good reason for commanding it. Like, mm. like... To, well, that's that's kind of the Job argument, to, isn't it? Yeah, well, yes. Okay, uh, let's move on. The, the next uh, sentence that I'm about to read out is not a question, but I will uh, um, juxtapose it with a statement of my own. No, no. So this is what it says. It would make absolutely no sense at all to leave the Sabbath as an eternal legacy of a six-day creation week if a six-day creation week never existed to begin with. That's from the lesson. Is that what the Sabbath is? Sorry. Again, like coming back to what is the primary purpose of Sabbath? What is meaning, yeah. its symbolism, the reason we keep it? Why is it important? Yeah. It's not important because it's a legacy of a six-day creation. Yeah. 
Well, okay. If if it is a legacy of a six-day creation, it's a legacy of a six-day creation because it is important, not the other way round. I ah. Okay. Here's here's a here's another thing. No, well, the lesson says it makes no sense, absolutely no sense at all, to leave the Sabbath. I agree with them. They make uh, no sense. Okay. Well, uh, here's my my follow-up statement. It makes absolutely no sense at all to imagine God saying to the author of Genesis, listen, I'd like to explain to you how I made the world, but basically um, the only people who can really understand the way I work are people who are scientifically literate. So um, brush up on some uh, germ theory, brush up on some, you know, build yourself a microscope and discover, you know, people used to think the smallest animal on God's creation was the cheese mite. Uh, I think, you know, even... Seventh-day Adventists admit the existence of things like bacteria. So, you know, uh, mm. you, you, know you, can't, you can't access it. I'd, I'd like to tell you this message about what the world means and its purpose and its role and your role in it, but I can't really do it to you until, until you have a, a working knowledge of uh, uh, protons, neutrons, quarks, leptons, gluons, uh, you know, all, all mm. of these things. I'd like uh, some elementary chemistry training, maths. We're going to make you do a lot of maths um, because, of course, the theories <laughs> that the lesson here is criticising in the minds of the scientists are not narratives. In the minds of the scientists, they are consequences of mathematical equations. Um, And when we Mm. treat some of these uh, scientific theories about Big Bang or, you know, cosmology, um, then when we describe them as narrative, we are not describing them as the scientists are seriously proposing them. Mm. Um, And so... You know, to me, it makes, let me say, it makes absolutely no sense at all to imagine God saying to anyone that you need that level of technical expertise in anything. I mean, imagine if God said you have to be good at cross-stitch or you have to be good at pottery or you need to be able to sing a Bach cantata. You know, God's revelation must necessarily be, um, be in a form or a mode that is accessible to the widest possible range of people, and we're all different. So it it hmm. it seems to me that to expect um, the Genesis account uh, to share um, a level of specific scientific insight on par with uh, modern scientific theory is effectively saying is effectively saying God was trying to teach us particulars about the mechanics of the universe. God was trying to teach us science, and that seems odd. I think he was trying to teach us about purpose and about meaning. And you, under you, those situations... You've absolutely hit on it. Un, under yeah. those situations, you, you do not want to divert into subatomic particle theory. Mm. You, you've absolutely hit on what, 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 what the, the, the problem with the, the statement in the lesson that I have, which is that... It, they they place the mechanics of creation as being more important than the fact that God did it. Here, I've got a great analogy for this, and it was a really excellent, excellent passing comment. More basically, just a word in a recent Anzac um, ceremony talk, Anzac speech uh, at the at the Dora Creek Anzac Memorial just last week. The the person who gave the address made the comment along to the effect that the the Anzac Day has become valuable because of the mythology. In other words, what they were admitting, this is how I understood it, what they were admitting is there's a true history to the Anzac um, 
story in World War One. These are the Australian and New Zealand soldiers that landed in the at the cliffs and beaches of Gallipoli, along with a whole lot of British and other Allied forces. Um, the campaign to essentially invade Turkey and cut off a front for Germany in World War One was fundamentally an unsuccessful campaign. But in that, the spirit and um, sort of a whole lot of human characteristics that are worth celebrating were exhibited by these Australian soldiers. And it's of significance to Australians because it was the first military campaign that they fought as Australian soldiers rather than just as as colonial British Empire soldiers uh, for England. So there's a history behind that. There's also a mythology that is built up around it. And Anzac Day has valid purpose, partly because of the mythology. In other words, there are some things we celebrate that are slightly uh, slightly detached from the history that truly happened, yeah. but they are still things worth celebrating. And I thought that the person who made the comment along those lines was actually saying something extremely profound. And as you're describing it, I'm hearing the same thing. What, what was the question, Cam? The, the comment was it would make absolutely no sense at all to leave the Sabbath as an eternal legacy of a six-day creation week if a six-day creation week never existed. But what if the narrative of the six-day creation week was telling us things we needed to be reminded of. In other words, what if there was immense power and value in the narrative beyond the question of whether it was a a, a literal history? It could well make sense to have a memorial of a seven-day creation week because that makes us ponder the narrative because the narrative is valuable. Do you see what I mean? I think that there is some... That's what a parable is. And, of course... When Christ told parables, he didn't preface it by saying, now the story I'm going to tell you is not grounded in literal fact. There's not actually a rich guy who dies and he's yelling across <laughs> to Lazarus in heaven, okay? But I just want to explain that at the outset. Okay, now you ready? Now let's start the story. Um, he just launches into these stories. And um, the the um, Christ uses the creation account in this sense. He uses it not as a record of something in the past, but as a, a way to enlighten our actual choices and actions today. So um, when the Pharisees come and ask him about divorce, what's a legitimate reason for divorce? What about this or what about this or what about this? And Christ says, yeah, but you've forgotten how it was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he appeals to Genesis as saying the ultimate expression of God's purpose for human is, is best encapsulated in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, that's a great statement of of purpose. If you were talking to people, I mean, forget the scientific vocabulary. The average vocabulary of a normal English-speaking person is already about 10 times larger than the total vocabulary of the Hebrew language. Mm. That's without any scientific jargon. Throw in scientific jargon, you're talking about hundreds of times more vocabulary. If Christ is talking to someone uh, with the constraints of a different language, with the constraints of a different uh, set of um, understandings about the world. You know, for instance, I'll give you an interesting example. Um, the ancient Greeks believed very firmly that women had different number of teeth than men. That's just an example of something that's blatantly wrong, but people believed it for 3,000 years. It's also fairly inconsequential in terms of a moral life. It doesn't... Can I just check, Cam? Did you say teeth? Teeth. So the remarkable thing about that is it's also easy to count. Yeah, Yes, but you, you don't count but, something. But that's an watching. example of and something. I guess you don't count it if you already know the answer. You don't count well. it if you already know if the answer. If you already well, know that women have no, less the important teeth thing than men, is, why the important thing count? is it is hard to count because not many adults still had all their teeth. 
which is why we should brush okay. them, Luke, and that's what you should tell your daughter to do. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, people believed... There, there have been things we've believed that have been scientifically incorrect, but in terms of moral guidance, that's not significant. If you believe that God... Um, if the alternative to a literal six-day creation week is that the universe is an accident and we're here and then we die and then we're gone and there's nothing except for our immediate experience of any value to us. If that is the only alternative, then I would be the first to stand up and say, no, I'm going to stick with the six-day literal Sabbath because I think it leads to a better life. But there are demonstrable alternatives to a literal six-day creation week that still allow for you to say, now, I believe God is in charge. I believe he made the world on purpose. I believe he made us to be in relation with him and with the natural order and with each other. And so pertinent to Revelation 14, I think there are a whole multitude of different pictures like you described that still leave you able to, in good conscience, worship the creator. Yeah. You you just mentioned Revelation um, just briefly. Isn't this whole quarter on the three angels' message? Yeah, but one of them is to one of the messages so, I is to worship rem- the Creator, and that from that we need to talk about uh, six-day literal creation. So, Luke, here, there's no, actually a phrase we need to discuss. This this might help. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, no, no, no. We do because the the, the lesson makes this claim, and here's a question that we might we might ponder. Um, the question is: considering how basic and fundamental the Sabbath is to everything else. Um, it's hard to see how the final issue of worshiping the Creator could be about anything else. So the reason we're having this discussion is because in the in the in the thinking of the authors of the lesson, it's important for us to validly understand creation and hence the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is the test of the worshiping of God or the beast. Because in Revelation, the contrast is: Do you worship God or do you worship the beast? That that's the narrative in Revelation. It's very clearly this kind of binary. Yeah. Um, the, the Sabbath isn't the test for that. Well, the test for that is stated very, very clearly in the story about the separation of the sheep and the goats and doesn't mention the Sabbath. I thought it was oh, the it? Sabbath keepers Sabbath were on one side the and test. the Sunday keepers were on the other. <laughs> I thought exactly. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, I think a lot of Adventists. Um, okay, well. Okay. Um, but to, 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 to respond to that more seriously, well, um, I, I think it. I, I want to pose another question which I think is a really interesting thought experiment. And I want to reassure our listener that I am not posing this question because I believe this to be true. I am posing it because it helps us think about this topic. Um, my question is this. If everything in our doctrine was true, mm. right? And there is a God and his son is Jesus and Jesus died for his sins and through his death we are... Yes, for our sins. And through his death, we are redeemed and we will have eternal Mm. life if we believe in him. If all of that is true, except that God didn't create the universe, Mm. that one detail is different, Mm. right? But everything else is true. Does, does, Does it, is it still Christianity? Is it the same faith? Do we do the same things? Do we keep the same Sabbath? Do we aspire to live the same life? Do we still pray? Do, do we aspire to we live the same? What you've said is almost exactly a question that was on my mind, and I now, I now in the, I now can't find the um, the passage in the lesson that I was going to refer to. But you're exactly right. Surely, so so there's a lot of different reasons to worship God, 
And worshipping him because he is creator is one. Worshipping him because he is redeemer is one. You've sort of pointed in that. Worshipping him because he is whatever he is, the exoduser. He's the God that... I'm actually I'm actually going to play devil's advocate yeah. here quite seriously is God as the if is God being the creator a good reason to worship him no well I don't think it and, 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 and by itself yeah, because I mean, all right because another thought because experiment. the Greeks let's say God is the creator he made yeah. this world which we all live in and you look around you look at the world look at what's happening in it okay but he's not the redeemer and we're not saved. Yeah. Do we still no, worship? Because him? the Greeks had lots. Of, they had gods that created the world, but they were indifferent. They were callous. They were um, fickle. Um, they made the world. It was sort of an, an accident. The human the humans were a bit annoying to them, really. But there was, there was. They were. They you appeased them, and you worshipped them in the sense that you hoped that if they were pleased enough with you, they would send you nice things. But that's not what we mean when we say we worship God. We worship God for who He is, not for what He's trying to give us. And um, if he was mean, malicious, you know, the fact that he made us, you know, he might have made us for a cruel joke. So the, the fact of well, creation on its own is, is not... Uh, you worship God for his character. It, it means nothing. It means nothing at all in terms of justification for worship unless it is combined with redemption and salvation. Redemption and salvation are the reasons to worship mm-hmm. God. Yeah. I, you could argue that they are the only reasons to worship God. Because God is not good. It doesn't matter if he created everything. It doesn't matter if he did in six days and rest on the seventh. If he's not good, we shouldn't worship him. End yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Luke, um, I'd like to take us into a direction. Just last sentence on Tuesdays. Um, it develops from what you were saying. Um, by attacking Sabbath, I'm reading from the lesson, Satan is challenging the very heart of God's authority. And what could be more effective in destroying the memorial of the six-day creation than by denying the reality of a six-day creation? Now, mm. I'm going to suggest a couple of things. Pride. Pride, Pride could, could be. be. What are the features of the six-day creation? One of the features, which is very unusual, this is when you read the creation account, you say, are there anything, is there anything in the text itself that suggests it is inspired? And I, I believe it is inspired. There are so many countercultural ideas. And here's one. The Israelites lived at a time where everyone had their own local gods. And if you went to another mm-hmm. country, you changed which gods you worshipped because you had to worship the local gods that had jurisdiction over the country you were in, which is why Naaman takes home a basket load of dirt from Israel yeah. after he's been healed so that he can, he, has, then he can spread the dirt out and stand on it and worship the God of Israel because... God of Israel has some sort of name and he's obviously wrong. But that's the sort of viewpoint they're living in. And then you then you get this creation account. And and sorry, can I just jump in. As you said, obviously wrong, but very pious. Yeah. And God has no problem. God gives yeah, him permission you know, to do it. Real conscientious effort that he's made there yeah. to worship mm. God. Um <clears throat> so but against this backdrop, you have a phenomenal statement. The Genesis account is by the the you know pattern of scripture an account that takes place before the formation of the nation of israel so it is not a statement about about a national identity it's a statement Mm. about humankind and you have this statement right up there up front that humankind is made in god's image yeah so so this is why you shall not make a graven image 
to God because you are surrounded by the image of God. Every the foreigner in your gates, the slave that you mm. own, the um, even to some extent the evil oppressor, human human people bear in some way the image of God. And this is, <laughs> as a statement about what life on earth means, that's powerful. You know, Are you suggesting that what could be more effective in destroying the memorial of the six-day creation uh, could be bigotry? Bigotry. Any Racism and other forms of, of exclusive... Selfishness. Yeah. Anytime greed, any person treats someone else as less important or as unimportant. That mm. is... That is a direct flying in the face of the creation account. Um, and this, you know, when Christ... And how easy it is well, to do as well. It is possible that maybe even sometimes Christians have been known to be unkind. Uh, <laughs> so so I present that as one of the things that could be more effective in destroying the memorial of the creation account um, mm. than just a denial of its factuality. Cam, you, 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 you have picked a, a very excellent example, and I can't top it. Um, to be frank, I think there are thousands and thousands of things that can destroy Sabbath far more than anything to do with any mention of literal six-day creation. You know, a, 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 a litany of... of, of and, and that's not any great insight you just look at at what people do to each other in the world yeah. well and there is the stuff that that is worse than yeah. any doctrinal discussion um i mean if if i can be as bold to point out one specific subset of the the attitude that you referenced cam uh, it is pretty vividly clear in the create the six-day creation account that there is a fairly tremendous, um, there is an, a sense of equality between the man and the woman. In fact, there is a tremendous sort of um, togetherness between them. Because uh, remember, yeah, the woman being formed second is not the six-day creation account. So in the six-day creation account, it is only in their maleness and their femaleness together that humans are the image of God. And so I suggest that sexism might actually be a serious affront at honestly and genuinely engaging with the Sabbath as the memorial of creation. Maybe denying or maintaining that uh, God has no calling for women as ordained pastors uh, might be a denial of the... Maybe that's buying too heavily into into the effects of sin and not saying mm. that we really want things to be like they are in Eden. Um, yeah, it's, it's being willing to settle for less than God's ideal. Okay, um, well, I'm eyeing the clock. There was one other statement I wanted to get to, and I can't find it. Uh, oh, yes, here it is. This is, a, a, I think, a good place to end on. Um, there's a, an invitation for us to read, and I'm afraid in this podcast we, we've not actually referred to Revelation very often. We're invited to read Revelation 14.7, which is, I think, the angel's message that says, Worship God, the creator of heaven and earth. Um, uh, Revelation 14.9 and Revelation 14.12. And, th and then this is offered in the lesson. Uh, these passages make it clear that the central issue in the conflict in the last days between good and evil, Christ and Satan, is worship. Do we worship the creator or the beast? I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves often. Hmm. 
Uh, and because creation forms the ground of all our beliefs, after all, what do we believe that makes any sense apart from God as creator? I think we've talked about that. Uh, the creation account stands as an eternal and immutable sign of that creation. It's the most basic symbol of the most basic teaching. And then this statement is offered. The only thing more fundamental to it is God himself. And to my mind, that's a bit like saying, um, uh, it's a bit like saying, you know, the only thing more important than buying spurs, if you want to learn to ride, is to buy a horse. <laughs> um, it's the only thing. It's the only thing more important than, than spurs is to, is to buy a horse. Uh, yeah, the, the only thing more important yeah. than planning your wedding is finding someone to marry. Uh, mm. There's an element in which the disproportion between these two things. I, I agree with the lesson that God is more important, <laughs> but the disproportion in importance between the two things doesn't really warrant a comparison between them. Well said. Yeah. yeah. Those, maybe that's a good that's maybe that's a good sentiment to leave it on. Yeah. That that definitely sums up my feelings on this topic. The the vast gulf in importance between God himself and the literalness or not of creation yeah. does not warrant consideration. Yeah. And or comparison. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the same thought that I've expressed on a recent episode, which is that is exactly what I hear to be honest, when I hear read Revelation with the admonition by the angel to worship God, the who created the world. Um, it's it's the worshiping of the God. It's the God that is the emphasis there, um, in in a in a level that is so beyond comparison with this with the importance of some particular picture and understanding of of the how of that creation. Um, yeah. The yeah. Yeah, we are not called to worship Genesis uh, one and two. The the uh, one note of uh, caution is not the right word. Perhaps confession is the word I'm I'm looking for, uh, because this is something that um, you know it's us easy for us to fall into as much as the lesson writer. It's much easier to regard uh, sound doctrine or sound understanding as important, because that's something that we can. Uh, achieve in inverted commas it's a human endeavor we get together and we talk and we thrash it out and then we say ah now this makes sense and we get that sense of satisfaction of saying ah good mm. we, we can now enjoy the comfort of being right if the really important thing is god himself what are we going to do if he keeps on surprising us what are we going to mm. do if he keeps on challenging us in new ways what are we going to do if we keep on discovering new things about him new reasons to worship him <clears throat> we had no idea of before it might be that that sense of comfort uh, of, I think there's a great sense of comfort in, in knowing and worshipping God, but um, the sense of comfort in knowing that you are correct is, I think, a different mm. sort. And maybe <clears throat> maybe we'll experience it less often. Yeah. Um, we're going to leave it there. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we uh, endeavour always to be honest on this uh, podcast. Uh that does not mean we are always correct. Uh, <laughs> We're always honest. Sometimes we endeavour, in the aim of being polite, to be dishonest. Ah, yeah. Well, the, that's <laughs> with varying degrees, varying of, degrees success. of success. <laughs> the honesty. You, you may have noticed that uh, we, we are not exactly in agreement with various emphases expressed in the lesson. Uh, I, the reason I want to talk about it is 
just in case there are other Adventists like myself who feel very ostracized if they are told there is no way to be a Christian or an Adventist except by believing thus and thus and thus. Um, I think that the comments we've had are worth talking about. Um, if you genuinely feel us to be too heretical, then I, I guess you could uh, pray for our souls and that we might find a brighter light. Um, we're not into disagreements for the sake of disagreements, though, and if, um, if there's any constructive or useful feedback uh, or you have any ideas that you would like to share uh, or you have people that um, you might want to share this podcast with, with then please do. Uh, or you can send us emails at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com and, uh, and continue with us, please, on this journey as we unpack some of these themes because uh, I, think that, I think that the discussion is fruitful. So uh, hopefully you find that to be the case also.